welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you'll go ahead and open up into John 9 this morning as we go through the book of John. We may be out of bulletins, but we're never out of Bibles. So if you need one, there's always some on the back table. And as I'm looking back there, I think somebody must have misplaced some because I don't see one. So I'm really in trouble now. <laughs> well, you might remember a couple of weeks ago as we've been going through this book, Jesus was in the temple. And he had just been brought the... Uh, he was in the court of the Gentiles where anybody could go. And he'd just been brought the woman that, uh, that was found in the middle of adultery. And they basically threw her down in front of him and said, Okay, are, are you going to stone her to death? Because that's what the law says. And we went through all the, those things. And, and it, was, it was some pretty phenomenal things that the, the Lord kind of opened our eyes to and all that. But then later on the next day he was teaching and he's in front he's in front of these two huge pillars of fire that represented what they went through as they they did the feast of the tabernacles they celebrated that time that they were in the desert that god saved them and they're in front of these two big huge pillars of fire that represented god's presence during that wilderness period and he says to them i am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life and it says there that on, on that day, there were many that started following him for the first time. And that is one of the coolest things. I think one of the, one of the things that's going to be just a lot of fun when we get to heaven is finding out when, when people started believing in Christ, hearing other people's story. And, and I'm sure, you know, it'll take eons to get, you know, to everybody and find out when did you start believing. And, and one of these times, we're probably going to run across somebody and says, you know what? Do you remember reading John chapter 9, John chapter 8? I was one of them. That would just be so cool. Do you remember when, when he said, I am the light of the world? As soon as he said that, I started to see. And then he said you could, that he would set us free. And that was the time. And many of us really think that our stories are boring. We look back and we look at the scripture and go, oh, wow, this is so cool. And, and when uh, some of us had the opportunity to go to Israel to, to be able to walk and, and, you know, be on the same streets as Christ and other things. And we're just like, oh, man, this is just so awesome, just unbelievable. But I think many of us think that when we get to heaven, we'll just listen to everybody else's story. Well, my story's just kind of boring. But I think they'll be fascinated from the standpoint of 2,000 years after Christ was actually here on this earth, we started believing. And they're going to be totally fascinated with that. They're just going to be going, but, but you never saw Jesus. You never experienced the miracle you know, right in front of what Jesus was doing. You weren't there and you still believed. I think they're going to be fascinated with that. They're going to be awestruck. And there's even those amongst us that, that have just phenomenal stories about how you come to, to, to know him. In Jesus' teachings, we start to see a pattern here. You know, John is an excellent writer. I mean, you know, of course, he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but just a phenomenal writer. And we start to see Jesus make a few statements that start with the words, I am. Jesus said, I am the living water. 
I am the bread of life. I am the way. I've come to, to set the captives free. I am the light of the world. I am the truth. And this pattern of Jesus saying, you know, not only these things, but, but starting with the words I am in the Greek, which means he is claiming to be God. No one else can, can say that he did not ever claim to be God. If you ever come across somebody that says, well, I'm not sure if Jesus really claimed to be, to be God in heaven, that is false doctrine. Point it out to him. Don't necessarily be rude about it, but point it out to him. Say, that, that's not what the scriptures say. Here's what the scriptures say. And every time he uses the phrase, I am, the Jews would listen a little closer and they would, they would think, what is he saying? Did he, and they'd start talking amongst them, did he really say that? And they would start listening. But the other pattern that we start to see is every time Jesus says these things, he's using a metaphor. And, and this is what's really cool, because it requires the person listening to m- admit something about themselves. And we always hate that, to admit something. In order for Jesus to be the bread of your life, what do you have to admit? I'm hungry. I need something to fulfill me. In order for Jesus to, to be the living water of your life, what do you have to admit? I'm thirsty. In order for, for Jesus to, to be the light on your path, what do you have to admit? I've been in darkness. In order for Jesus to set you free, what do you have to admit? And this is really hard for some people. It's the number one reason why that you know, some people relate to this. is It took them so long to come to Christ because they would have to admit. You have to get down, on, in a sense, on your knees. and I mean, not always physically. You know, there's not a the way to come to Christ. But you have to admit that you're in darkness or, or you're thirsty or hungry. And some people would say, you know, I've tried a lot of things and nothing ever worked. And I finally admitted it to Jesus. And for some of us, that is so hard to admit that. To admit that there's weakness inside of us. Or sinfulness. Or hunger. Or thirst. Or that we're not satisfied with this life and what's going on in our our current situation. What's amazing to me is that when we finally get to a point where we do admit these things, He just breaks out all these amazing promises for our life. If we read the scriptures and come, you know, to find out those things. And it's hard work for us to admit these things because the enemy has gotten into our lives and said to us, you can handle anything. Alan, you can handle it. And this world says, you know, if we build up our kids enough, if we teach our kids enough, if we give them enough education, enough, you know, uh, good parenting, all these things that they can handle anything in life. That's what the world says, that we don't need anyone or anything. And it's really foolish to think this way. The scriptures say that the fool has said in, the, in their heart, there is no God. And for those of us who have been, you know, really raised in, in religion, and not necessarily bad, but, but just all those things, we, we learn this idea that, that we have to serve God or we have to act a certain way or that we have to do a certain things to gain God's approval. Well, let me tell you one thing. He loves us no matter what. He may hate the sin we're doing, He may say, I want you to change, Alan, but he doesn't love me any less. I don't have to do anything to gain God's approval. Why? Because I have Christ that stands in front of me, and God looks through Christ to me. I love photography, and and one of the cool things, you know, some of these pictures you'll see, and you're going, how did the sky turn so blue? 
Well, they use a polarizer lens is what they do. They put this filter lens on the camera and, you know, like circular polarizer for many of you that, that know about that kind of stuff. And you turn it, if you're 90 degrees from the sun and you turn a certain direction, the sky just turns this deep blue on there. So you're sitting there going, okay, well, that's how they do it. Well, God looks at us through the filter, through the polarizing of Christ. And God sees something completely different than what we see in the mirror. We don't have to gain God's approval. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Now, He may appreciate you changing your life, but appreciation and love are two different things, two different facets of that. Now, ironically, many of us forget about all of this, and we forget that He supplies our needs, and we kind of start out on our own. And then all of a sudden... We get into a situation where almost like life has gone into chaos and we hit rock bottom. And the Lord sometimes allow things to happen in our lives that for me I would look at and go, Why? Why, Lord? Why, why am I going through this? Why is my life like this? And I cry out to God and God's sitting there going, Well, you turned your back, uh, your back on me and, you, and you, you need to refocus. You need to turn back toward me. Lord, why, why would you do this to me? Because you're going the wrong way. And we have to come back to the Lord. And these are tremendous promises that are waiting for us when we go toward Him. And we are freed, even here on earth. And the ultimate freedom will be when we join Him in heaven. Well, the Pharisees, by the end of chapter 8, were not ready to admit this or anything else. They had pretty much had enough. They had already made their decision about who Jesus were. And, and you know, they would never have, a, 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 you know, an, a need in this area because they were the spiritual leaders. They were like, you come to us for the answers. People come to us to find out the answers about God. Not you. you your little band that, that's following you, we don't know what you're teaching stuff that's not even right. They come to us. We don't have this need. You have this need. And that's how they really felt. And they were ready to stone him. But as Jesus does, it wasn't his time. He just kind of disappeared at the end of chapter 8. So now we come to chapter 9. And he says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I love that the, Jesus is in the third year of his ministry, and these guys have been, him, have been with him for over two years now. And I love that sometimes the longer we're with God, we want to get in these theological discussions, and we totally miss the point. Instead of asking Christ, hey, can you do another one of your miracles? I mean, you, I mean this has been awesome the last two years. Can you do another one and heal this guy? No, they want to have a theological discussion. Um, a rabbi, uh, who sinned? Was it his parents or, or was it him? And which kind of cracks me up because he was born blind. How did he, you know, did he elbow his, you know, the, inside the wound too many times, elbow his mom or something? How can you sin before you're born? It's kind of a ludicrous question. They totally missed the point of here's a guy who needs God. Here's a guy who needs healing. Now the assumption that they made was that if something wasn't working out for you in life, or you had a physical ailment, or you were born with a defect, that you or your parents were being punished by God. Nowadays, a lot of times, we use this, you know, Christians, we don't, you know, we say we don't believe this, but often we'll say, oh, good karma, bad karma. Well, they get what they deserve. So this kind of has influenced even today's culture. 
But Jesus has come to reveal that judgment is not for now, it is for later. That when things happen, sometimes it's just a part of life. It's part of genetics. I mean, when Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the, in the garden, it changed everything. So sometimes it's just a part of life. But I love how they try to pin Jesus in. So, so Rabbi, what is the answer? Is it A or is it B? Because it could be either A or B and that's it. Neither, he says. Jesus answered in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And I almost think there was almost kind of an irritation in his voice. Neither this man or his parents sinned. Come on, guys. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work, uh, I, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus uses these, you know, this guy as a, as a metaphor between light and darkness. But he's not going to just use this guy and keep walking along. He's not just going to ignore this guy's needs. But first I want to kind of address the, the whole idea that if you were born with a special need, it was because somebody sinned. And it's actually very convenient for, for everyone, especially Christians sometimes. And, you know, it, it, really a lot of times we just say, well, well, there was a sin there. So we kind of abdicate our, our you know, our responsibility here, our, our desire to help. Well, I mean, they got themselves in their own situation. It's their own fault. So we just kind of walk away. It's a good way of saying, well, I kind of wash my hands of it. Well, if they wouldn't have sinned, they wouldn't be in that situation. So theologically, I'm off the hook. Think about this. The guys, the disciples walked right by this guy. And they're saying this out loud to Jesus. Now, the guy may be blind, but it didn't say he was deaf. Now, if you're blind, but you can still hear, that means your hearing is really attuned. You hear a lot more things than than what a normal person would. So this guy is probably, probably hearing this conversation. I'm sure he's heard this conversation over and over and over. As many teachers as come through with, with their little groups that, that followed them. And, and they would have this theological discussion and keep, keep going on. And he'd be like, oh, great, here it goes. Here, you know, they're talking about it again. But no one is helping this man. They're just walking by having these theological discussions about why. It's kind of interesting. Jesus is not interested in in theological or public conversations about his past. Aren't you glad that Jesus is like this? He doesn't want to publicly embarrass this guy, or he doesn't want to even publicly embarrass you. Wouldn't you hate it if everybody knew, knew every little detail about your past? Well, we'll just start a sharing session. We can start right down here at the front, and we can raise our hands, and we'll just tell every bad thing we've ever done in our life. Isn't that what Jesus wants? No, he doesn't. Confession is good. Confession to everybody is not necessarily good. Aren't you glad the Lord is like this? Now, some of us can use our past to help others. When I was in junior high ministry, we had one young lady that, uh, that was married at this point and came to me and said, you know, I really want to help, but I feel that my sin is in the way of me helping. 
And we talked about it and, and stuff and come to find out that uh, she had had a baby before she was married and all this stuff. And she felt, okay, how, you know, what, how's this going to influence the girls and, and all this stuff. And we talked about how one can use their sinful past, if they choose, and not everybody should do this, to help those, you know, where you go, don't get in the same situation. Yes, it turned out okay for me. Yes, the Lord is gracious. But this path is a rocky path. Let me, let me point you to a smoother path. So we can use our past to help others. Now, not everybody needs to do that. Some people can. Some people, the Lord says, no, we, we want to hold you off. Because our God says, if you confess that sin to me, I will take it away. And we will never talk about it again. Now go and don't do that again. What a wonderful God that we have, that he treats us like this. So with this guy, Jesus said, actually guys, nothing. This guy did nothing and his parents did nothing. For the glory of God to be revealed. And before this day over, this guy is going to have quite a day. I mean, this guy is going to have to make some choices of whether he believes and is going to do what Jesus asked him to do. What a a day this guy will have. So we see the, you know, an immediate application to our lives. The next time we're, you know, going through a tough situation in our life or, or something's really out of whack, we have to remember, maybe this is for God's glory in the end. Maybe I'm going through this situation so in the end other people get to see God because of this situation. Instead of crying out to God, why me? Why? I've done it before, I'm sure you have. Why am I in this situation? What did I do to get here? And it may be none of the above. It may be God is trying to use you to show other people Him. Sometimes when we ask, why did God do this to me? We have to really be thinking, maybe God has a different perspective on this that I'm not seeing. And it's for His glory to be revealed. This is how he wants us to view our most difficult trials in our life. Neither this man or his parents did anything to cause this. Anybody going through a trial today? If you're going through a trial, I want to challenge you to work on that attitude because it's so easy. It's so easy for me. Going through a trial, you you kind of go the negative route, that negative attitude, and you want to complain every time. Well, it's easy for you to say that, Pastor, because, I mean, you don't go through real trials. I mean, you know, of course I don't, because I'm a pastor, right? I'm not a real person. I just read about this stuff in books. One of the hardest things for me to do when I'm in a trial and is, is not to whine. I like to call it prayer. We need to learn this verse also. You know, we love the verses that, that are so, you know... So full of glory, so full of positive things. But this is one of those verses that says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned because the works of God should be revealed in him. Maybe this is the verse that we need to memorize this week or, or today. That his glory be revealed. See, one of, one of the signs of spiritual maturity as we're going through trial is, is that we go through it with as little whining as possible. God has done such a great work through so many of us. And our lives should, should reflect that. Especially when we go through another trial. Because 
all we got to do is look back at our past and go, okay, did God get me through the trial before this? Did he get me through the trial before that one? How about the one before that one? Okay, I've always made it through. So therefore, I know that God's going to get me through this one. So let me try to do this one as little whining as possible. Well, let's see what else he has for us in the story because Jesus does something so unusual here. You would never see Muhammad do this. You would never see Buddha do this. No other God has done such a work like this. No other, no other false gods out there. No guru or enlightened man ever made man do these things. He never healed like this. Verse 6, it says, When he said these things, he sped on the ground and made clay with his saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. Now think about this. This guy can't see, but he can hear really well. <laughs> Jesus spat on the ground. I love this as a kid. Mom, I'm just acting like Jesus. Alan, quit spitting. Mom, I'm just acting like Jesus. I mean, close your eyes for a second. Okay, maybe not. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Sorry, but I had to do it this way. All of a sudden, there's this wet dirt being put in his eyes. Now, Christmas Eve, for those who are here, you know, um, um, Randy was talking about, you know, maybe even, you know, maybe even Jesus rolled up a little ball and, you know, maybe his eye sockets were completely empty and he actually rolled up a little ball and put it in. We don't know. All we know is all of a sudden wet dirt is being put on his face after he hears. <laughs> I know, I hate it. <laughs> and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, from where they were standing, this was a half a mile away. This guy has a choice. He's walking through town. You know, what is he thinking? Should I go that far, or shall I find something closer to wash off this spit dirt in my eyes? Or did he think, this is no way to treat a blind man. I've had some practical jokes pulled on me in my life, but this, is, this, this takes the cake. But something inside this, you know, in this man made him go all the way there, all the way across town with clay made from dirt and spit on his face. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Wow, this, this, this is pretty cool. He came back seeing. Now, why did Jesus use this method? You want to know? Well, I have no idea. But I love Jesus so much because we love to put Jesus in our little box. Well, A or B, this is how I, well, I mean, I've seen miracles before and he's never done it like this. He can't do it like this. No. No, he completely does it a completely different way. You know, I almost think we need to start a campaign, something like, here's mud in your eye campaign, you know? Why did he do it this way? Because he's God. Why did he choose this method? I don't know. But look at the result. He went and washed, and then he could see. You will start to notice another pattern in this book. Jesus is starting to allow people to participate in their healings. The mind is a powerful thing. And when you choose to believe, it can change things. 
Jesus turned water into wine. Who did he use? The servants. They got to participate in the miracle. The loaves and the fishes, who did he use? The disciples, they got to hand it out. When he was out walking across the, the lake with, you know, just on top of the water in the middle of the storm, you know, when Peter said, can I come out there with you? Peter got out of the boat. He was used. The crippled man for 38 years, get up and take your mat. Jesus even takes him to the point of foolishness. I mean, in many of these things, I mean, Peter, you're going to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm on the lake. Hello, are you an idiot? I've been crippled for 38 years. Like I'm going to get up and grab my mat and walk off. Come on, hello, do you think I'm an idiot? To the point of foolishness, to see if they will follow. If this thing doesn't work out, I look pretty bad here. If Jesus is lying, this Christianity thing will look really, really silly, right? Especially when we're so enlightened today to think that we came from monkeys because it's so logical. Jesus lets us look foolish right on the verge of everything working out. Why? He uses it to build our faith. Maybe the reason why you're not healed yet if you're going through something is because it's not your day to be healed yet. Have you thought about that? This guy had been blind for how long? We don't know. So keep hanging in there and believing and trusting that God knows best. 38 years and this guy was walking around after Jesus said, get up and take your mat. 38 years. Come on, God, can't you do it a little quicker? And this guy, he was born blind. Never seen color and structure and putting the two together. Can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, there was a story recently in the, the news where a mom that uh, had a child two years ago, uh, some weird thing, um, some medical condition where, where she actually became blind during childbirth. Two years she was blind, and she just got her sight back. And she, I mean, you should have seen her on the TV. I mean, she was so excited about it. Imagine never being able to see before, and all of a sudden there's structure. See, he's not only healing a blind guy, but he's also speaking to the Pharisees at the same time. And also the, the disciples about their own blindness. I mean, they walked right by this guy going, well, who sinned? Instead of going, hey, Jesus, here's another guy. Can you heal him? This is so cool. Can we heal him? No, there's a blind guy. I mean, just walked right by him. Verse 8, it says, Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was, uh, that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. His whole expression on his face had to change. If you can't see anything, do, do you have wonderment? Do you have, you know, your whole, if you look at somebody, you can see if they're, they're happy, they're sad, all these things. But this guy could imagine his expressions were pretty dull because he had no eyesight. So they were going, I don't know. I mean, he was so changed. They brought him who was formerly who formerly was blind to the Pharisees in verse 13 it says or let me back up to verse 10 it says therefore they said to him how were your eyes opened he answered and said a man called Jesus made clay notice he left out the whole spitting part he just made clay 
and anointed my eyes and said to me, go, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Now, you know, it's kind of funny. Jesus could have been standing right there and he wouldn't have known him. Why? He's never seen him before. I don't know who this guy Unless Jesus speak, he's not going to recognize it. So verse 13, it says, They brought him who, was formerly, who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. So at first he was called the blind guy, you know, the blind guy down there in the corner. Now he's called the formerly blind guy. You know, what great nicknames here. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Oh, man, why does Jesus keep doing this on the Sabbath? You have six other days of the week that he could be doing this. He keeps causing problems because he's doing this on the Sabbath. Verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. He said to them, He put clays in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Don't you get it, guys? Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Oh, you can't be from God because you were healed on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the day of rest. Come on. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? You know, because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called his parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son? Who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We've been living with him for a long time. We know he's blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. It's almost like the parents are almost washing their hands of it going, Go ask him. I don't want to get in trouble with you guys. He's of age. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. And the Jews had agreed already that anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. What an interesting day for this guy. This guy did not even ask for this. He's all of a sudden he can see. It's a miracle. And now he's even being alienated from his parents. Do any of you relate to this? You accept Jesus. You admit that you have a need for your life. You change, most likely for the better. But all of a sudden, your, your parents, your family doesn't quite understand you anymore. They don't quite get you. This is just weird, they think. Man, we can't wait for Christmas over at their house. Oh man, everything changes now. They'll probably sit there and thank God for so long, the food will get cold. Every holiday they're going to be this way. Oh man, Easter, they're just going to destroy Easter for us. And all you were doing is going, I was blind, but now I can see. Verse 24, it says, So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner, and they're talking about Jesus. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, 
now I see. And this is great. You know, we, we don't always have to have the correct Bible verse to answer somebody. You know, some people are like, oh, I just, I, I don't know the scriptures that well. I, I can't go out there and tell people about God because I really don't know. And all this all we have to do is go, go out there and say, you know what? I was blind, now I see. My life was this way, and now I have hope. My life was going toward darkness and destruction, and now I have something to live for. I mean, really, really live for. That's an awesome thing. Jesus could be right there. I don't know if this man is a sinner or not. I was blind, now I see. Verse 26, it goes on and says, Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Come on, man, there's something more here. Tell us. He answered them, I told you already, and you're not listening. Hello, guys. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> Come on. Do you really want to follow? Do you really want all the info? I can tell you what corner I was on. Then they, then they reviled him and said, You were his disciple. You faked it, didn't you? But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow... We do not know where he is from. The man answered, him, answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he, opened, he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it has been, un, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who has been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Hello, guys. Are you just idiots here? I mean, come on. Hello. I mean, look at me. Look. Look. Because I can see now. This is common sense. Verse 34, it says, They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And are you now teaching us? How dare you? How dare you try to teach us? You haven't even ever been in the temple. How dare you? Do you sense their anger here? I could almost see their, their, their heads, you know, when my dad got really mad at me, his head would start, you know, shaking, you know. How dare you? And they cast him out. Now what does he do? His family is still apart, you know, from the church. You know, but, but you know, they're still there, and, and he's out. He's paying the price. And some of you know about this price about, you know, family. And, and others, I need to warn you, when family doesn't understand your faith, sometimes you're the one that's being kicked out, and you don't know why and how sad that is. But the great news is that God provides a new one for you, a new family to celebrate with, to love with, to laugh with. To meet our emotional needs as a, as a family that we need. Verse 35, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And I think his heart probably skipped a beat like, I recognize this voice. This is the man who just healed me. Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered him and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Man, this is good. This kind of gives me goosebumps. As I was studying this, as I was putting it all together, I was just sitting there going, Wow, 
I mean, look at the, the natural progression here. No one told him or taught him how to worship. He was blind. Now he sees. Mud put in his eyes. He had to walk a half a mile to clean off his eyes. And now he is before God. He recognizes God before him and he worships him. It's a very natural progression, all from getting mud put in his eyes. And he says, I believe. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. And for those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. In other words, you're not, seeing the, you're not seeing the true God here, guys. You're still blind. It's like a, a glaze is right over your eyes and you don't even know it. You do not even recognize God right before you. And this is so sad. So sad that some people, I don't know what it is, God can be right before them. And God is trying to draw them near, them, near Him. And they just... They don't see it. He was telling the Pharisees, you're calling this man a sinner because he was blind. But you're a sinner because you've missed the mark. You walk by this guy and you want to have a theological discussion about his sin instead of saying, how can we help this guy? Don't miss the mark this morning. Don't miss the mark. In fact, that's what the word sin means, is missing the mark. Don't miss the mark and walk through this world and not see God for who He is. I was blind, but now I see. Open your eyes to who He is in your life. Open your eyes to what He has for you on a daily basis. Whether it's down at work, whether it's in school, whether it's at home training your children. Whatever it is, open your eyes for God to show you who He is in those situations. Because when you do, you will start to see. You will start to see how He can use you on a daily basis. How He can use you to affect others. Because I'm sure there was many of those Pharisees that are sitting there going, hmm, and just thinking it through. That seed that was planted in some of their heads. Not all of their heads, because most of them were blind. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that on this, this great winter day, that you allow us to see who you are in our lives. You allow us to see you in the, in the sky, and the trees, and the wind, and the animals, in each other. But most of all, Lord... I pray that you reveal your plan to us. Show us what your plan is for our lives. Maybe it's just the next step. Maybe it's the whole life. I don't know, Lord. But give us a a glimpse of what you can do in our own lives. I pray, Lord, that for those out there that need healing, that they come to you. And then when you do something, Lord, that they go all the way through it. They, they, They walk the half a mile to clean their eyes. They do exactly what you ask them to do. Because when that happens, there's some great things at the end of that trial. Some great things at the end of that half a mile that we don't know about until we get there. I'm so happy, Lord, that you just didn't walk by this guy having a theological discussion. 
I'm so happy that you care enough about us that you don't walk by going, yeah, he sinned, that's why he's that way, or no, he didn't sin, and, and that's just life. But you cared enough to do something about it. Lord, I pray that you do something about our lives. I pray that you open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to, to who you are, that we may see and we may believe. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you and give you grace in this dark world. May you see the light of life. May you see the bread of life. May you see the, the, the water of life that you may not be thirsty anymore. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.